This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. It is hard to believe, but the football regular season has come to an end. The transfer portal is already popping. We'll have plenty of discussion in the coming days about potential additions, players maybe from ECU that are hitting the portal, as the portal will officially open for all undergrad FBS players on December 5th. You're seeing guys start to declare their intentions and whatnot, but we are first going to recap this ECU football season, starting with the Temple game. We'll also talk some basketball. I'm your host, Stephen Igo. I'm joined by Kaysen Romaley. He's been helping us out on Hoist the Colors, and Kaysen's actually been doing a bit of uh, traveling with us lately. He covered the ODU game in basketball, also traveled to Cincinnati to cover that game. So, Kaysen, you're starting to get the uh, the feeling of what's it like to, to be on the beat, right? And cover some of these road games yeah i think i gotta stop though traveling if we keep on if we keep on losing it when i keep traveling though that is true that is true it's uh i can tell you this if you cover ecu long enough you'll see plenty of road losses no matter the sport you've already experienced some a few of them so enjoy the the victories when you can get them uh okay so let's start first with football we will talk some basketball a little later uh, Mike Schwartz's team is going to be returning home for a couple games this week, so we'll get into that along with the ODU game. But let's talk. Let's talk football first. And the Pirates. I don't know if anybody saw this one going the way it did on Saturday, but in the end, ECU finds a way to win, forty nine forty six at Temple. The late touchdown pass, Holton Haylers to Jalen Johnson, the thirty eight yard score. I mean, just just first off, your initial thoughts on on the game, how it played out, and how big it was for ECU to find a a way to win that game. Well, I was following the game on my way to Norfolk for the ODU game because it was at one, so I was traveling kind of early. So I was listening. So I was I was listening to it a good bit, but I was bouncing forth, bouncing back and forth between that Clemson and the uh, Michigan game. So I was bouncing back and forth, and then I listened to the whole fourth quarter. And then once I got to Norfolk, I opened the box score and saw EJ Warner, 45 completions, 63 attempts, 527 and five touchdowns. I said, holy cow. Is it? I was like, did we play two again? I was just like, geez, Louise. It was uh, it was crazy, man. It was they just couldn't stop it. And 
you know, we'll get into the defense, what's going on there. I, ha- I have my theory, my thoughts on it, but um, I guess the main thing is the main thing, Kaysen. They found a way to win the game and back-to-back winning seasons. You know, seven and five, four and four in the American. I think it's important to first say, yeah, I think everybody kind of hoped for more, especially a couple weeks ago that maybe ECU would be competing for a conference championship, but it didn't turn out that way. But I, I think it was very important. They found a way to get to seven wins, even with some adversity down the stretch, because you don't want to go backwards. You don't want to have a six and six year after a seven and five year. And I think it is important for them to at least match last year's win total, maybe surpass it in a bowl game. You keep momentum, you keep some of the good vibes. So like to me, finding a way to win, no matter how ugly it was, was the most paramount thing. You know, whether you win 49-46 or 35-3, it all counts the same. You know, let's say they played great defensively, but they lost, you know, 20-17. to We'd all be sitting here in much more miserable mood. So just, I don't know. I mean, it, it wasn't ideal, but finding a way to win, don't you think, makes a pretty big difference? Yeah, great, great and well-coached teams always find a way to win, and that's what happened on, that's what happened on Saturday. And I wish it happened earlier in the season. I mean, you can look at our losses, and I mean, we're just right there, just right there. And this was one of those games where we, where we did finish strong. And and if you go, and if Houston could go back to those and look at that, and just his decisions or not his decisions, I mean, we could be looking at a whole different situation right now. I want to get into the discussion of the season as a whole in a little bit. Um, First, I want to have an appreciation discussion about Keaton Mitchell. I mean, this guy is unreal, man. 222 rushing yards, uh, 300 total yards offensively. He had the 73-yard touchdown reception, which he made out of a busted play. Busted, by the way, because I'm pretty sure he messed up the uh, the mesh, ran into the ball without taking it. Still, though, he turns it into a 73-yard score. Um, great job by Holton getting the ball to him. But just so many times this year, he has come through again and again, Case. And, I mean, just this guy is just unreal. Yeah, he's one of the best players in college football, 100%. And I think that I've I've told you before, I think the game plan every week should just be Mike Houston telling teams, give the ball to Keaton and everyone get out of the way because he can put you up four touchdowns and give you 28 points. He has been unreal this year. I've gotten the question a few times. What do you think this team is without Keaton Mitchell? Before I answer it, what what do you think? I think I think that are we talking Keaton Mitchell? Are we talking uh, Rajay Harris without Keaton Mitchell too? Like is Harris yeah. is Harris here or no? Or is it just Gunn and Edmonds? I guess I guess you would assume that Rajay gets hurt like he did. So you could say without Keaton, it would basically be the gun show and the Camaro Edmonds show. I think that we would be fighting. I think that we would be fighting for a bowl game. 100%. Because Keaton Keaton's won us games, kept us, kept us in games. So, I mean, this team is – and I really, really hope that he comes back next – really hope that he comes back next year. Yeah, I would say five and seven. Without Keaton, I mean, I do think Marlon Gunn's good enough to still do a really good job, but he's a freshman. If Assuming Rajay got hurt, I think there would be a major step down just going from, especially from Gunn, and then you're going to have to have more young guys step up. So I think Gunn's got a chance to be a number one back in the future. 
still learning right now. For me, Keaton's explosiveness. Uh, I mean, there were so many times this year where like the plays were blown up in the backfield, Casey, and he would just juke a guy or two and then outrun everybody to the corner and get five, seven yards on it, if not a longer play. Like you just can't teach that. He's been incredible. You know, I I, I keep getting the question, will Keaton Mitchell be back next year? Um, and if he doesn't get drafted or if he doesn't declare, is he going to enter the portal? I'm just going to say it right now. Teams are already recruiting him into the transfer portal. They're trying to look. It's it's technically tampering. It's illegal. But here's how it works. And this happens all across the country. Team will reach out to either the parent, friend of the parent, high school coach, you know, a mentor, whatever. They'll say, hey, get Keaton in the portal. We'll pay him whatever, $100,000 to come to, you know, school X. School Z is doing the same thing. And that's just how it works. This has been going on a while now. It happened last year with Holt Naylor's. Holt Naylor's decided to come back to ECU. It happened last year with other players as well. And with Keaton, I mean, he's dynamic Ooh. enough as a back and really good to where it's going to be a situation. I think that you're going to have this play out. Now, I will say this. From what I'm hearing on draft stock, I don't think – I think if he goes, there's a chance he gets undrafted based on, A, his size, B, inconsistency in the passing game. When you're as small as Keaton in the NFL, you have to be good catching the ball. You have to be decent as a pass blocker. Right now, he has struggled in those areas, so I think he can improve his stock if he returns. And so you've got both those scenarios. He's probably weighing. I do think Keaton loves ECU. Uh, he's got a girlfriend that plays on the soccer team. His parents love Coach Houston. They love the culture here. Uh, his dad played in the NFL, so he's going to give him good advice. I don't think it's as cut and dry as, oh, Keaton's going to get recruited to another school or he's going to go to the NFL. I think he really loves ECU, and there's a good chance he will be back. Either way, I won't blame him for what his decision will be, but I think there's a, a good chance he will be back. So I just wanted to – I know we, I, I get a lot of questions for that case, and so I want to talk about that before we move forward. Um, the other thing I want to talk about this game, Holt Naylor's has gotten a lot of criticism in this year and in past years. But in his final regular season game, he led a 90-yard drive and threw the game when a touchdown pass, and that had to be a hell of a note to end on, right? Oh, yeah. And Holton's had a, Holton's had a rough year injury-wise, and and most people, don't, most people don't know the extent of what he's had going on, but just knowing that, and all he's done this year and he's had a he's he is he's had a great season and yes with with every quarterback in college football you're you're going to have your highs and you and you're going to have your lows but i will but i will stick by it i've said it all year i think Holton is the best quarterback in the conference and i'll and i will and i will stand by that and i hope and i hope that he has a great future i would have Killed to know what he would do completely healthy this year. I don't know if any quarterback's completely healthy by the end of the year, but it's worth noting he played. I don't know if he finished the game with the glove on his hand, but he played. He started it because um, he's got a finger issue going on. He's got a long-term back issue he's been dealing with. He's got the torn shoulder and his non-throwing shoulder. I think that's kept him from running as much as usual this year. Not that he's a – I think he's become more of a pocket passer than a runner throughout the course of, uh, of his latter years in college, but he's had the best season of his career. There's no doubt. He's throwing the ball as accurately as ever, um, even with, what, three or four injuries. So I, I give him a ton of credit. Um, 
Congrats too, to Isaiah Winstead, first 1,000-yard receiving season of his career. And as uh, as bad as the defense played, they made the stop when it mattered. Final drive, they forced the four and out, and they had good coverage on all those plays. I don't know where that was at the start of the game. Um, and I still don't know why Temple hunted the football on fourth and one at midfield. When you're a three and eight team, like talking to their media, they were pretty shocked after the game. Would you have punted there? Uh no, you have you have nothing to lose. There 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 is no tomorrow. You go hundred percent. Even if it's even if in the fourth quarter, if if I'm the coach and it's fourth and and it's fourth and twenty, I'm going for it. You're not gonna punt. You have nothing to lose at all. Yeah, if you had a bowl game on the line, maybe you punt it, but and and two, my thing is all right, three minutes left in the game. First off, ECU hasn't been able to stop you all game. So, like, to me, I'm going based off that alone. But two, if you don't get it, ECU needs a touchdown to take the lead. If you don't get it, you're giving the ball to them at midfield. And, yeah, theoretically, it's easier for them to score a touchdown. But if they score a touchdown, you're going to get the ball back most likely with more time compared to if they drive the length of the field like ECU ended up doing. So, by kicking it, you almost cost yourself more time by them going the length of the field, even though clearly the odds of them scoring a touchdown 90 yards versus 50 are greater. You're still putting it in the hands of a fifth-year quarterback, experienced offense, um, and it ended up biting Temple. So I think it was a dumb decision. I think ECU benefited from it. Um, and I heard a lot of questioning of Mike Houston's decision to call a timeout there. And I think people are confused. It's not. It wasn't a time. It wasn't a time. Yeah, obviously you want to save the timeout for time, but he told us after the game they called the timeout because basically they had the wrong defense in for what Temple aligned for on fourth and one. So if you don't call a timeout there, you're basically conceding the first down and therefore the game. So the timeout was called for that reason. I don't think we knew Temple was going to punt after the timeout, but still you you call the timeout for a defensive purposes because if you don't. You give it up, the game is basically over anyway. So um, I get you want to save the time out there, but they called it because they were in the wrong call for the the empty set that Temple went to. All right, Kaysen, how much of a concern at this point is this pass defense? I mean, 527 yards to a true freshman in E.J. Warner. I don't know what Toon finished with, but it was well over 400 yards in the 42-3 win against Cincinnati. There were open guys everywhere. Ben Bryant was just missing targets. Um, I think it is what it is at this point, but what do you make of this pass defense? I think that it is a major problem going in uh, to the bowl game and looking at who we're going to play in a bowl game. If we play a team like if we play a team like Wake Forest, who has a who has a quarterback in Sam Hartman who can just dice up a defense, and he did that all year. He did it. He did it against Clemson. Did it against State, who have also have great defenses. If we play, if we play Syracuse, a quarterback, a quarterback like Garrett Schrader, he can, he can dice, he can dice up a team. So, I mean, that secondary is going to be a problem in the bowl game if they don't get it tightened up. And I think it's just, I keep hearing people say the defense has regressed and like statistically they have. But the thing I've noticed, Casey, is teams just aren't even trying to run the ball anymore because they know ECU is a good run defense, if not a great run defense. So why run it 
why beat your head into a brick wall when you can pass the ball? And that's basically what Temple did. I mean, 60, what, 63 pass attempts? Yeah, 63 pass attempts. And also, uh, and also when a team does their scouting and looks at ECU, the blueprint is laid out for them. If you look at each box score, you look at Toon, EJ, I mean, you can just line up and throw 70 times a game and you can move the ball and put up 42 to 46 points, literally. And ECU has gone with different coverages. They've played man, they've played zone, they've blitz, they've dropped coverage, really haven't had an answer. You know, some of this you do have to credit. Clayton Toon's a good quarterback. EJ Warner, he's a smart quarterback. He made some questionable throws at times ECU didn't take advantage of. But, hey, when you throw it 65 times a game, you're going to make a few questionable throws. So, uh, overall, just too many open guys. Um and I don't know, you know, the one thing I would like to see is a little more press coverage and a little more challenging of the receivers, but it may be a case where ECU thinks it doesn't have the personnel to do that. And so at this point, your personnel is what your personnel is. Pro Football Focus ranks ECU's pass rush 127th out of 131 teams in terms of pass rush grades. So basically, if you line up three or four guys, you're one of the worst teams in the country in rushing the passer. If you can't rush the passer, you're not going to be able to stop teams. And if you've got smaller cornerbacks like ECU does, you can only play so much man coverage. The safeties are more run-stopping safeties, more downhill safeties than pass coverage safeties. So, like, to me, when Coach Houston first took the job, the defense was horrible, flat-out horrible overall. What what do you do to first fix the defense? Well, first got to stop the run. So they recruited a bunch of big defensive tackles, they recruited downhill safeties, guys who can stop the run. Well, they hey, they fixed that. But in turn, they kind of have personnel that doesn't stop the pass as well. And I think that's the next step for this defense. We can get into more of this in the offseason. But your personnel is what it is. I think it's been exploited by the opposition. And you're just going to have to deal with it, I think, going to the bowl game. Hopefully, you get an opponent that doesn't throw the ball. But I don't know, Case, and I think if, if you're going to the Fenway Bowl, uh, you're more than likely going to face a very capable offense. Yeah, yeah, Fenway Bowl, you're going to be faced with the ACC team. I mean, we could get luck of the draw and get Louisville, get Malik Cunningham if he's healthy, because Louisville does not pass the bar very well. They're going to run, 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 run. But if we get a ACC team of Wake or Syracuse, it might be a long day. So well, – any idea on uh, – I don't even know what ball they're, they're heading to, so I'm not going to ask you where you think they're heading. But as far as, like, potential matchups that would intrigue you or, or you do you have any that you're you're hoping for as far as a bowl destination and an opponent, or, or is it, does it not really matter to you? Well, well, it goes with the question of what you think is more important, location or opponent. And to me, I think at this point at the program, I think opponent is more important. And if I had to choose, I would choose Wake Forest in-state. And they are a they are a great matchup. We would match up pretty we match up pretty pretty good with them. Wake Forest runs a similar offense as Temple and Houston. So it goes on both sides. ECU you can see how to fix it, but also Wake knows that, hey, just Sam Hartman can throw the ball 70 times. I want no part of Wake Forest on a bowl game. I think it would be a good matchup, but for me, I think they throw for 600 yards. 
but also there but also there are rumors there are rumors about Sam Hartman and his and his decision because rumors are he's been tied to the portal or entering the draft so who knows if who knows if Sam Hartman plays even if we do play wig so Sam Hartman he's got another year of eligibility left somehow some way what stay has been in college like 8 years man yeah yeah um I tell you what, I don't know if it's a possibility, but I would be intrigued by a matchup versus Duke. Um, I don't know if they're going to go to the Belk Bowl or Military Bowl, but if they could somehow match up ECU and Duke, that would be a game I could get behind. Um, I, I would be fired up for Syracuse because ECU and Syracuse used to play a lot in football um, in the 90s and early 2000s. I think it would be a good matchup. They're they do have a good quarterback in Schrader, but they're also built around the running game. Of course, that's assuming Sean Tucker would actually play in the bowl game. Who knows? Um, but I think that would be a good matchup. Louisville, probably similar to UCF in terms of talent and running quarterback. So that would be a more favorable matchup for ECU as we saw how they handled the Knights. Um, as far as some of these other bowl games, you know, I know that ECU would prefer the Fenway Bowl from what I've heard. Exposure. You know, early bowl game, December seventeenth, pre-Christmas bowl. You got it's a Saturday game. You'd have a lot of eyes on you. You know, you'd be able to get the bowl game out of the way, then focus on recruiting. Um, any potential changes with the program or staff, you could get into that earlier than a late post-Christmas bowl. You also have the the situation where, you know, I think if you end up going to the Fenway Bowl, like I said, it's on Saturday, it's at eleven a.m. and it's early. It's a, you know, 11 a.m. is not ideal, but early enough in bowl season, like I feel like everybody watches like the first Saturday in bowl season. So everybody would watch that game. It would be a, a marquee opponent and good exposure. So I think ECU would prefer that game. I think they would not prefer a return to the military bowl for the players. But if 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 Fenway chooses somebody else, I don't know where ECU is going to go. They could go to Boca Raton. They could go to the Gasparilla Bowl. They could go to Shreveport, Louisiana which I really don't care for. Um, or they could go to Birmingham, which I also really don't care for. But the possibilities are endless. Do any of these other bowl games intrigue you? Uh, no, not really. I think Fenway's, I think Fenway's the way to go because if we go to Fenway, like you said, most exposure, early bowl games. And if we go to Fenway, we're going to play the best opponent. So I think that Fenway is just the way to go. I mean, I was looking around – I saw some crazy predictions. I saw we I saw a prediction where Myrtle Beach Bowl versus Middle Tennessee State. And then I saw Independence Bowl versus South Alabama. And if we go to and if by some crazy chance we go to either of those, uh that would just not be good at all. Yeah, from a excitement standpoint, I don't think South Alabama and Shreveport, Louisiana is exciting anybody. Um Myrtle Beach Bowl would at least be good for the fans. Like I feel like ECU would take over that stadium. But the Myrtle Beach Bowl is not even tied in with the American this year, from what I understand. So I don't know why people keep projecting that unless there's going to be some some trading going on behind the scenes, basically just to have ECU fans there to sell tickets. Um, so you would basically get a another home game and a winnable game. And I'm not going to be here and like act. I'm not going to sit here and sit on my high horse and be like, ECU is too good for any bowl game. But I just look at a lot of these bowls and I'm like, man, they just don't excite me. Like there's no perfect bowl game. All the bowl games have their, um, 
they all have their pros and cons, plenty of cons. And it's just one of those situations you're, you're thankful ECU's in a bowl. The players get to experience it. You get a chance to get your eighth win. But I can see the argument for and against every bowl because also if you go to Fenway, there's a chance you're playing in the snow and 20-degree weather. And that that's not real exciting either. Um, so, there, you know, if you go to Florida, you're probably playing a worse opponent, but you're in Florida. And that's never a bad thing. So, I don't know. I mean, selfishly, I would like to go to Florida in December and spend uh, spend some time in the warmth down there. But we'll see how it plays out. Hopefully, in the coming days, we have more of a uh, kind of a feel of how it's going to play out. Case, okay, so and I want to look back at this this regular season as a whole. Seven and five final record, four and four in conference. You know, if you go back and you look at a lot of the preseason predictions, ECU. In Vegas, the over-under on wins was set at six and a half. So ECU goes over. A lot of people predicted seven and five. You had some eight and four predictions. So I mean it turns out ECU basically did exactly what a lot of people thought it would. But I also get this vibe that some fans feel it was a disappointment. Uh where where do you kind of fall on that scale? Well, I also I think first of all, I think it's a good thing that the fans think it's a disappointment finishing seven and five and going to a bowl game. I think that showed great improvement in the program. I think that's first off. But when but when you but when you go through the schedule, should have beat state, should have beat Navy, Tulane, yes, will give that loss. Cincinnati had control. And then I think if we beat Cincinnati, we beat Houston. I mean, you could easily look at a one or two loss team here and we could be going and we could be going to a New Year's Six Bowl, but it just falls down to execution at the end. But I think that I think that next year is going to be an interesting year, considering that all the losses that are going to take place. But at but at the same point, I do understand the disappointment because I think if this was the year to do it, this was the year. And we just won one game better than last year, which I understand. But then again, that also is good that people are disappointed that we were seven to five going to a bowl game. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my sentiment too, is like if you're disappointed being seven and five, think about where this program was two years ago. Certainly before where Mike Houston took it over, there was no there was no hope for seven wins. I mean, seven wins, God, I mean, it it like every win felt like a Super Bowl win at that point. And now it's like, man, we barely beat Temple on the road. Like, God, we suck. Like, how far has the program come? And I get it. People want to take the next step. You know, Willie Fritz. He's in his seventh year at Tulane. I keep seeing people make Tulane comparisons. Like, well, Tulane did this. Why can't ECU? Well, Willie Fritz was there seven years. They went two and ten last year. You know, not every magical season uh, happens in the third or fourth year of a program. Like, there's a there's a process to it. East Carolina and Tulane are far from the easiest places to win. Even experienced coaches need time, need multiple recruiting cycles to kind of go through and figure out hey, how exactly do I win here? What's the perfect scenario, the perfect formula? And in some ways, you had the formula this year, Kaysen. You just missed a kick against NC State, uh, against Navy. You threw, you know, Holton Aylers unfortunately made one of the worst passes of his career at the wrong time on a potential game-winning drive. You also missed a kick in that game. Uh, Tulane, I still think it could be a much different game if Holton doesn't throw that pick in the third quarter. So, you just go back and you look at a handful of plays. Now, conversely, you can say, hey, they could have lost to Memphis. They could have lost to Temple. You could be five and seven right now. So the reality is you're probably you're probably where you 
you are. I mean, you're probably a seven and five, eight and four team, and that's how it played out. And um, well, you you want to add something there? Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm as growing up, my growing up, my dad would always tell me your record, your record says who you are, and and I think that's the way. I think that's how uh, ECU is this this year, and also coming into that is how if we if we do beat state week one i think that we have so much confidence i think there's no way we lose the navy in in my opinion because of confidence but then but then but then you could see a trap game like south like south florida that that game could possibly turn and turn into an l come coming in too much confidence and then maybe lose that game bounce bounce back versus two lane and then maybe lo- lose a trap game to uh Memphis so I mean your record says who you are so I mean we can go through all these possibilities so there's some possibilities but I think that your record says who you are and we're seven five no doubt and and I I think I don't want to say it'll be a blessing in disguise ECU only went seven and five this season but I do think there are still some flaws with this team and I think there are some philosophy changes that need to be made at certain aspects that hey going seven and five instead of nine and three maybe that speaks to Mike Houston say hey maybe I need to tweak this here maybe I need to tweak this here to allow us to take the next step as a program and to become that championship team and I also and I also think just like you said that if we that if we do go nine and nine and three ten and two go to a conference championship win it or just go go to a bowl game there's a very high chance Mike Houston is not the head coach next year yeah, I mean, hundred percent. If, if if you want to get in that conversation, because you can actually look in the conference with Fritz and Fickle. I mean, if you, I mean, it has been it has been seen in the American that if that if you win, it becomes a stepping stone. That's just how yeah. it is. Yeah, I mean, instead of Willie Fritz likely taking the Georgia Tech job, maybe Mike Houston is taking that job. You know, if he's using two lane shoes. So, I mean, there's there's multiple ways to look at this, and you're going through a coaching search another rebuild instead of having some stability. So, um, look, that's why we love sports because all the possibilities. Uh, at the end of the day, ECU is 7-5. They're going to a bowl game, and we will preview that bowl game once we know the opponent. All right, let's take a quick break, Case, and we'll come back and talk some hoops and also maybe discuss some other items before we wrap up the show. You're listening to the Hoist the Kellers podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. All right, welcome back into the HTC podcast. I'm joined by Casey Romaley. I'm Stephen Igo. We just talked a lot of football. Again, we'll talk more football 
recruiting, transfer portal, all that stuff in the coming days. Kaysen, let's talk some hoops, man. ECU, unfortunately, had a setback at Old Dominion. You were there in Norfolk. I was in Philly covering uh, the football game. You made the drive to Norfolk. ECU loses 71-50 to the Old Dominion Monarchs. I warn you going into the game, uh, ECU basketball on the road, you never know what you're going to get. It was a good first half, a competitive first half, man. Just just what happened in that second half? Rebounding. They just could not they just could not rebound on the uh defensive end. And just uh we have and just we have a very young front court and ODU has a very old front court and it and it definitely showed. And a uh, glaring example of that that I could see over and over. Uh Ezra, we he played he played some big minutes, but they weren't, they were not the best minutes. And there were multiple times where he would get the ball at the elbow. It happened three possessions in a row. He would get it face up and then he would try to jab step dribble. And then the defender just wouldn't just wouldn't move. And the same thing happened to Brandon Johnson. We just could not get nothing going inside. And it was 50 to 16 in the paint. We just could not get nothing going inside. And then also uh, a big thing that I see is throughout the games this year is how, especially with young guards and young teams, how sometimes they are so focused on running the set that they are told they're not being aggressive and looking for a shot because there are multiple times this season that we have, that we have not got a shot off until one or two seconds in the, in, in the shot clock. And I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you a time where we have shot the ball 10 seconds into 10 10 seconds in possession. We're always running the set thoroughly, which is good. But also at the same time, it's like, if you got a shot, take it. Just We have got to be more aggressive. Got to. 50 points in the game. Uh, that's the season low for ECU. They shot only 21% from three-point range. They shot 28 threes, which is about their season average. Old Dominion shot four three-pointers. They made one three and won the game by 21 they just cleaned up in the paint. That Ben Stanley dude, he was in foul trouble in the first half, but he is a hoss, man. He is uh he's I mean, I think he's listed at 235. He's got to be at least 250. I mean, he's a big boy. Uh and ECU just had no answer for the physicality. I know you talked to Coach Schwartz after the game. That was kind of one of his main talking points. Um, you know, did you notice that difference of physicality, kind of the older team versus the younger team? And and, and do you feel like the the four games and six days away from home played a role at all? Yes. And even 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 when I asked Schwartz that you can't see excited video, but he had a he had a he had a little bit of a like a look on his face when I said it that he definitely kind of agree with me, I could say. But I, I think that has a factor, but also the uh the experience in the ODU front court played a role. And also ODU's front court wasn't big. They were around six seven, six nine. They weren't they they weren't six eleven, seven feet. And but they were very very athletic, and as we've seen this seen this season, how ECU's front court has struggles playing against athletic bigs who can who can stretch and catch and catch the ball the elbow one dribble. So I think that 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 is definitely a problem going forward, and I think that the front court needs to step up the play because I think that Javon Small and R.J. Felton are playing solid. It's just that the front court needs to do better in the paint. Every game is going to be a learning experience for this team. I mean, they're so young. You you just compare the roster every game, no matter the opponent. ECU is always going to be the younger team unless something crazy happens um, this season. 
Most of the other teams in the country took a bunch of transfers. ECU took a bunch of freshmen. They did take a couple transfers, but even those transfers are young for the most part. Um, you you set courtside, which by the way had to be nice because at Minji's we're now up in the rafters. Just your thoughts on kind of like even when the team was struggling, how did uh, how did Coach Schwartz kind of handle the bench and like how was the demeanor of the team, even with some frustration setting in? Like did they still do a lot of teaching that sort of stuff? In the first half, I could definitely tell by the uh, I was I was like right near the bench, so I was like probably ten feet away from there, so I could see all the expressions and words were said. But in the first half, they were focused and they were really in it. But start around the under twelve. I could definitely see some wandering looks in the huddle, some like I want to go home looks. Like it just wasn't, it just, it just was, it just was not the best. And Swartz, and I could definitely tell Swartz was just was just trying to figure it out, as said in the press as said in the post conference, how when I asked him about the front court death, he was like, he was like, Well, that wasn't that was not the reason for it. The reason was because I was just trying to I was trying to figure something out. And that's why, and that's why I saw Valentino go in and uh Ezra got Ezra Ezra got big minutes and I mean he was just he was just trying to figure it out and all I heard was everything you expect to be heard from a coach down 20. Yeah young team on the road and I don't want to say reverting back to bad habits but you know sometimes you can get some bad body language in those situations and it can it can just kind of snowball versus at home you're just in that comfort zone and maybe you you always feel like you can come back but I felt like that was the first time we didn't see them respond well to adversity this year. So certainly a learning experience. We'll talk to Coach Schwartz here in a little bit this afternoon, actually. We're recording this on Monday afternoon. Um, last thing, Kaysen, a couple home games this week for the Pirate men. South Carolina State, which is winless on the season. They play tomorrow night at Minji's. Uh, they played a brutal schedule earlier, but should be a win if ECU shows up. And then Campbell, sneaky Campbell team on Friday. They almost beat NC State earlier this year. They have a couple quality wins. So um, you would like to go 2-0 and this week at home and then you know have some momentum going into a big road game at UNCW. But I don't think it's going to be as easy as maybe some people think. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, after uh, South Carolina State, we got a rough two-game in-state stretch. Campbell is, Campbell is for sure no slouch. We for sure have to be on our A game. Um, we were actually in Cincinnati when State played Campbell, and I was actually watching it in the box sitting next to you, and I was watching it just like, what in the world is going on? And then I and then I talked to some people on this on the state staff and program, and they just and they said that they're gonna fight you. They're gonna fight, fight, fight. So that is so that is for sure not an easy game on Friday. And then Wilmington at 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 Wilmington, if we don't if we don't play well in Wilmington could turn into what happened on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, Wilmington, different team than ODU, but I think a much better team just all around. Certainly more explosive offensively, but we'll preview that game when it gets here. Kaysen, uh enjoyed the time on today's podcast, man. Thanks so much for joining us and providing your insight. I'm sure we'll we'll have you on again shortly. Yes, sir. Sounds good. That is Kaysen Romaley. And before we get out of here, I just wanted to remind you guys, if you're listening on Monday, we have our 75% off subscription special on Hoist the Colors. Sign up now. Again, tons of recruiting content coming your way as official visits. Coaches on the road starts up along with the transfer portal. 
We've also got basketball, football coverage for the bowl game and baseball season right around the corner as well. So good time to sign up on Hoist the Colors. Check us out. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. And if you've been on the fence, now is the time to do it. We won't offer a better deal for quite some time. That'll do it for the Hoist the Colors podcast. We'll talk to you guys later this week. Thanks for listening. Now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.